All right, so um, we're thinking about this passage, and um, I wanted to ask you a question to start with. And the question is this. Um, do you know uh, your purpose in life? Do you know what you're actually here to do deeply? Like, do you, do you understand? Um, uh, we've just had a, uh, we've got kids at the, f- you know, one finished year 12 last year, the other's in year 11 this year. And when you're at that stage in your life, everyone's always asking you, what are you going to do when you finish school? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, I don't think that question ever goes away, if we're honest. Like, what are, you, what, what are we here to do? And I think often we give um, quite, well, the answers to that question are like, layers of an onion that as we grow I think we peel back those layers and find a deeper sense of purpose because what we discover when we're young when you say well what are you going to do with your life well I'm going to be a x y or z and maybe you go and you are an x or y or a z but is that what you're really here to do have you found a transcendent purpose that gives coherence and meaning to everything you do at every stage of your life Right? So the temptation in our world is, what's your purpose in life when you're younger? It's, it's your work, right? And that's what gets you up in the morning, gives you meaning and purpose. Yeah, that's it. That's fantastic. Um, and that's good as far as it goes. But finding meaning and purpose in our lives is limited, isn't it? Because um, it goes. <laughs> it might not be that great. Injury or ill health or old age can take it from us. And then what are we left with? Uh, when I, uh, my mother was a doctor and um, she retired uh, when she was 75 after practicing medicine for 50 years. And her problem when she finished up was she just went, there is nothing left in my life. Her entire purpose and meaning in life was uh, being a doctor. And so I would visit her and she would go on about this to me and I would say, mum, uh, that is not something I can help you with. You need to talk to your priest about that because you've got to find what is the meaning and purpose for the last season of your life when work isn't something you can rely on. Um, what are some other things we find meaning and purpose in in our lives, in our culture? The relationships. And in particular, often it's family, isn't it? So it's like my family is the thing. I, I hear many people say to me, well, um, I live for my, my kids and my life in particular. Funnily enough, um, I don't often hear wives and mothers say to me, my husband is my life. I don't know why that is. <laughs> Some, actually, in our case, I do. Um, but, uh, but I... <laughs> A pretty miserable life if I was it. Um, what's the problem with having your kids or your family, your relationships as the thing that gives you transcendent meaning and purpose in your life? They're disappointing. <laughs> they really are. And if it's your kids, here's the problem, right? They grow up and they leave you. It's a terribly cruel world. You invest all of this time and energy and life into these things, and then they grow up and leave. And that's hard. And they're not for everyone, right? Like, if, if as human beings it's possible to find truly transcendent meaning and purpose, we need to find something 
that is actually available to everybody at every stage of life. Whether you're single or you're young or you're old, you're well-educated, you're poor, you're rich. So often in our culture, what is offered to us as things that will find us meaning and purpose are really uh, activities of the affluent, educated, healthy middle class. And I think there's a different. I think we've got to think really carefully about what it is um, that gives us meaning and purpose. And this passage points us in that direction, and I love it. It's a, it's very challenging though. And uh, here's what we see: that the disciples. This is uh, the story in Mark's gospel so far. Is Jesus has come into the world as the Son of God. He's been wandering around, um, telling people, "Hey, God is here in a way that is accessible to you. So come and follow Him. Find your life in God. The kingdom of God, the rule, the presence of God is here." And uh, Jesus is going around demonstrating that. He's been healing. He's been casting out demons. He's been doing all kinds of amazing stuff to show what the kingdom of God looks like. And, and gathering these disciples, and disciples, it's just another word for apprentice, gathering these people around him. And uh, then he, and, and here's the thing about the disciples, they're, they're quite slow learners. So they're not really sure uh, who he is yet. It's all a little bit confusing for them. And then in chapter 6, Jesus changes gears, and instead of him being the one going out in this passage, healing and casting out demons and doing this amazing stuff, he says to the disciples, go and be my authorized agents. I give you, I sign you up as franchises, franchisees for the kingdom of God. You go. I've got the, I've got the master franchise. I'm bringing in the kingdom. But now you go and you, you go and do the stuff that I was doing. And um, he sends them off. Now, if you've read the gospel up to this point, you'll realize that's a bit risky because they don't really understand the deal about Jesus just yet. Like they just don't get it. They're full of misunderstandings. And in fact, the whole of Mark's gospel is a, a story of how those who should have understood Jesus really don't and they don't quite get it. So it's risky and I think that's really interesting. I think it's interesting because... Uh, it shows us something about the heart of God and his relationship with us, which is this. I think God is prepared to take some risks on us by entrusting us with responsibility and purpose and work that on the surface we're really poorly suited to carry out, aren't we? So it's not just the disciples who don't quite get Jesus who are sent out to now go and be like him in the world, it's not just that they don't get him, it's just, if you stop and think about it, if you were God, I can imagine this for a moment, maybe, if you were the perfect creator of the world, and you looked at the mess the world was in, and you said to yourself, who can I trust to fix up the mess of the world? Who can I trust to accurately represent me in the world? Do you think you'd choose people? <laughs> I mean, we're the ones who got the world into this mess in the first place. And then God seems to say, well, I'm going to send you out into the world to go and fix it up. It's a little weird, isn't it? Like, but it's always been God's plan. So if you start right back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, God's plan has always been to say, okay, here's this beautiful world I've made. And I'm going to put people in it to be my agents, to look after it, to care for it, to steward it, to be managers of it. But of course, the whole Bible shows at one level that was a really dumb idea on God's part, wasn't it? 
it's like um, uh, imagine you've got a garden and you, and you imagine you're doing a reno of a house and you've got this really overgrown garden and it's a mess right and there's just stuff everywhere and now imagine you've got a four-year-old and you go look four-year-old you're pretty beefy little four-year-old and you go and you get him a little chainsaw and you say to the four-year-old hey take your two-year-old sister take a chainsaw and go into the garden and uh, and clear it for me will you that wouldn't that on the surface wouldn't be a good idea and sometimes when i think about god entrusting humans with the task of healing the world it feels to me like that's what he's asking he he gives us all this capacity and and then he gives us all this responsibility but we are so profoundly limited in our wisdom and our choices we actually seem to make things worse as often as we make things better and that's a problem right so you would have thought jesus would have learned i mean god has been doing this for thousands of years until jesus comes along but then jesus does just the same thing <laughs> just go go and it, and it's interesting he calls he calls them the 12 here in verse 7 i and you can see it there and that's significant it's significant because uh god's plan for these people to go out into the backyard and fix the world started with adam and eve they all messed it up then it started with israel and they all messed it up and now the 12 have been regathered and the 12 are it's it's really a, a reconstitution of the 12 tribes of israel that the people of god are going to heal the world and, and jesus is saying hey hey you guys you're the start of something new you're the start of a new humanity you're the start of a new plan where the four-year-olds are actually going to chop the trees down and not chop each other apart in the backyard i'm going to send you out in a way that's actually going to work this time it's the 12 it's it's the reformation of the people of god of the new israel and he sends them out and uh here's what's interesting here's there's so much that's interesting one of the things that that strikes me when i read this passage is what do the disciples do when jesus tells them to do that well they did exactly what he asked them to do they went out they obeyed him they they didn't they didn't argue they didn't question they just went okay jesus you've asked me to do this i'll go do it i don't really understand who you are in all fullness i'm not really sure i'm up for the task but i'll obey i will go and and he's asking them to do quite remarkable stuff he's saying to them uh, you've seen me do this now go and do likewise <laughs> go do the sort of things i did go and obey go and drive out demons and heal the sick tell people the kingdom of god has come they don't really understand who he is but they obey so here's what it here's at least what i take from this at this point in the story uh, god has a plan to use even us even when we on the surface look like extremely unlikely candidates to be used to heal the world 
Like how many of us feel, like if you say God's great plan is to start a new humanity and through human beings to undo everything that's gone wrong with the world, right? And God says, I want to use you in that. You want to find your purpose in life? God says, here's your purpose. Here's your transcendent purpose that goes beyond having your own kids, goes beyond your work, goes beyond everything else. He says, work with me to heal the world. Okay, that's, your, that's, that's the job. Heal the world. Bring about what, in, what the, in Jesus in another point calls the tikkun ha'olam, which is Hebrew for the renewal of all things. He says, go do that. And the disciples go, yep, okay, I'll do that. And they go and they do it. They obey. And they step out in faith. Um, so, obedience to what God asks us to do trumps our own understanding, our own knowledge, our own self-doubts, our own questioning, our own wisdom. Because on the surface, who of us here feels like we are exactly the right people to have a role in healing the world? But God has a plan for you, like for you. He has, a, he has a transcendent plan that goes beyond anything you might currently think. And, and he has a plan that will give meaning and purpose and significance to every little bit of your life. And the plan is nothing less than working with him to drive out demons, to heal the sick, to bring in the kingdom of God, to make all things new. Like that's the plan. Another way of putting it is the plan is to be able to go into the world and do the things that Jesus did. And it doesn't matter how messed up you are. It doesn't matter how limited you are. What matters is obedience. What matters is obedience. Uh, just to do the stuff that Jesus was doing. And it's, uh, the, the picture is this, that there's this, um, this world of chaos. And goodness, we see it, don't we? A world of disease, brokenness, mess. And into that, the franchisees of the kingdom, the little outposts, of order, of beauty, of truth, of justice are sent. He says, that's us. That's the plan. And uh, here's, here's how that starts to change how I live, right? It means that no matter what the circumstances of my life are, everything that happens to me is a kind of matter that is put in the crucible of working out God's plan for my life. So, for example, um, suffering, hardships, setbacks. We can throw up our hands and go, oh, they've robbed us of meaning and purpose. And at one level, that, it does feel that way. If you, if you experience substantial loss and grief and trauma, you can feel like life is empty and there's no point. But actually... If I'm working with God, you know what? Everything that happens is an opportunity for me in that moment to live with God, to take up the challenge of being in the moment in the way that Jesus would be were he living my life in my place. So let me... Um, changes everything, right? So um, 
you have, a, you, you, you have an amazing career. Say, say your career is going brilliantly well. You go, that's fantastic. Okay, so the real challenge of your career is, the real challenge if your work is going incredibly well, is to say it's a temporary uh, calling. It's not the source of my transcendent meaning and purpose. What matters in this moment of great success in my career is to say, how do I live successfully in this work in the way that Jesus would were he doing this job in my place? Like, how would Jesus handle great commercial success? How would he handle rapid promotion and expanding influence in the workplace? What, what do you think would, how would he deal with that, right? How would he handle the power that you get uh, through you know, commercial or economic success? That's interesting, isn't it? That's the really interesting thing. It's, that's the question, right? If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, he's okay, show me how to do this here when it's successful. And then, of course, you see when it's not successful, you do the same thing, don't you? What happens when you get laid off? What happens when what you thought would be your life doesn't turn out to be your life? And you're, you know, you, you suddenly go, well, I, I'm middle-aged and all these dreams and hopes and my early successes amounted to very little and now I'm just in a job that's going nowhere and I'm struggling and it's boring and frustrating and not nearly as well paid as I thought it would be and I don't know how to make sense of it. Well, okay, what do you do then? You say to yourself, okay, Lord, how would Jesus take up this job? if he were doing it in my place, in a, in a career that's frustrating and boring and difficult and hard. Okay, what, what does that look like? How do, how do I form character to live in a Christ-like way in that kind of environment? And then you think about the other end. You think of um, parenting. You have your kids. Okay, that's great. One up. The easy, the easy thing is just to throw yourself into your parenting and they become all absorbing. And at one level, that's right and it should be. And they become the source of so much meaning and significance. But you know what? The transcendent, really profound, powerful question to put before yourself every day is how do I learn from Jesus to actually parent my kid in a way that Jesus would were he parenting my kid in my place? That's the question. So everything we do is drawn back to, to, to obeying Jesus and living the way he would live in the world, doing the things he did. And, and the disciples, of course, had the obvious, they had the example. They knew as they looked at Jesus how he lived and what he wanted them to do. Uh, the question is a little more difficult for us. So um, how would you know how Jesus would want you to live in your workplace today? How would you know how Jesus would want you to live in your marriage? How would you know how Jesus would want you to parent a kid? Now let's pretend that's not a rhetorical question. Turn around to the people like in the little groups and threes or fours and, and think about because that's the question you should be asking yourselves like, well, how on earth would I know? So Quickly, turn around. Quick question. Introduce yourself. If there are people around you you don't know, and say, how would I actually know what, what it would be like to live for Jesus in this bit of my life? All right, so um, stick your hand up. What answers, what thoughts or questions or answers did you come up with? John, will bring a microphone around and we can have a discussion as a group. What did your little group come up with? Thanks, John. Um, look, what we talked about was like we'd pray. But rather than us pray with a focus on what we thought, it'd be 
sort of try and calm down and listen to what God had to say to us because he wants to work through us and ideally there should be a bit of God in every one of us and then we'd be able to respond to the various challenges of um, whatever the day throws at us. Yeah, that's great. So calm down, pray, listen to God. How does God speak to us today? Hello, Mark. It's interesting. Like, we all say that. Well, that's, a, that's worth thinking about. So when you go to work tomorrow and you, you're under stress, well, how's God going to speak to you? So let's, let's put that as a question. How does listen to God? That's a, yeah, yeah, it's great. Okay. I like that. That's right. Other, other thoughts? Stick your hand up. Yep, there we go. There's a hand down there. When you asked earlier about your objective in life or something like that, um, for me it's like the, the line from the hymn, Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory of the Coming of the Lord, um, as he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. And that probably influences my life more than anything else. So I'm not sure if that's a total answer to what you're saying, but it's the way my life is influenced the way that I try and live my life yeah that's so so you've had a an idea a theological idea a vision a word that captures it so now when you whatever you do when you go into any situation you're living he's died to make men holy now let's live to make them free so you go that's it I'm living to make people free and and you've got to figure that out in the moment okay what else that's great thanks Jan I'm going to try and do this quietly. <laughs> uh, I think maybe, so for me, there's, a, there's maybe a more general question, which is how would I know how anyone would parent in my situation or do my job or whatever? And for me, like, let's say, with, for example, with parenting, I think I've got a pretty good sense of how my wife would parent or my mum or my dad. So it's all the people that I have close relationships and can empathise with. So to understand, I guess, how God would parent or do my job, it's about having a relationship with him and getting to know him. So whether that's by reading the Bible, whether that's through prayer, community, just about trying to understand him, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thanks, Ryan. I was just going to say, and extending that a little bit further into the church community, so, you know, we meet with each other and um, parents that are also striving for the same thing, um, Christian families, and yeah, yeah, so that all, you know, praying and discussing together to try and move forward in the way that Jesus would. Yeah, yeah. Um, Quick question, how many, (laughs) I'm looking out and thinking, how many of you have um, learned to trade? from someone yeah if you, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah so uh, I, medicine's a trade i've been wanting someone to own that for a while yeah that's right it's true so how do you learn if you how do you learn from somebody see one do one teach one that's it you watch really closely what they do then you have a crack at it 
and then you teach someone else how to do it, right? So that's when Jesus, in the Bible, uses the, the metaphor of disciples. It's like an apprentice, right? Um, yeah. So do you have to be in the presence? The, so one of the problems with Jesus is he's not here with us right now in the, in the real sense. Like I can't go to Jesus, um, hey, dude, can you show me how to preach the way you would preach if you were here? And we all sit down and watch Jesus preach. So where do I, where do I find what, where, how do I apprentice myself to Jesus Does, if he's not physically present to show me how to be a surgeon or how to be a carpenter or how to be a preacher or how to be a mum or a dad? Well, yeah. The Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is present, the non-embodied uh, presence of God within us. Yeah, to guide us. And in fact, um, so this is how it works. So, so thank you. Uh, we learn all the time from teachers and masters who aren't physically present. The most common way people learn new skills these days is what? YouTube. Like, you don't need it. You just YouTube it. You know, oh, I want to build a house. I'll just watch it on, you know, go on YouTube, figure out how to. And I don't know. There's a whole world of people who love making videos of themselves doing pretty much everything to teach everyone how to do whatever it is. It's really quite odd. But it's true. So you watch YouTube. The question then is, the, the difference is, I can get the knowledge of how to do something. What God offers us is not just the knowledge of how to do it, but the change of heart and the internal motivation and power to do it. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit. So when you think about the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit's role is to guide us, and provide for us and empower us to live in the way of Jesus in the world and to speak to us. The Bible's really important because the Bible is kind of like our it's kind of like our YouTube in one sense, that you study and you think and you immerse yourself in it. So because that the, the whole of the Bible is telling us about Jesus and how he lived and who he is and what his plan is. So unlike the disciples, we don't get to see him in, in action here, but we've got this amazing document that tells us pretty much everything we need to know about Jesus in order to live a life that is shaped like his. And then he has the Holy Spirit to actually put it into our lives and, and help us, empower us to make it, put it into practice. Um, there's some things that make it hard to live this way, though, to live in a Jesus-shaped way, aren't there? There are some things that make it really hard. Um, and uh, what, do you reckon, what do you reckon the hardest thing is about living the way Jesus would want you to live? I see the hand back there, Sally Yellowdown. Our sinful nature. Yeah, that makes it hard internally. Yeah, for sure. What else makes it might make it hard? Rejection. Here's the thing. You know, though this Bible nerd knowledge, what comes, or if you've got a Bible in front of you, what comes immediately after this passage in Mark's Gospel? It's the story of John the Baptist. And in particular, what happens to John the Baptist? John is like, a, he's the guy who comes telling everyone about Jesus, preaching repentance. He's an amazing man of God. He gets arrested. He gets thrown in jail. And on the whim of uh, a young girl, he loses his head. So you know what makes it hard following Jesus? Not just our own, not just the battle in here, but actually the reality is it's not always popular. 
Um, quick hands up, this is just to, so I can judge the rhetorical effect of my next question. How many people were here last week when Lynn preached? How many people can remember anything she said? Oh, a couple, okay. Um, she asked this question, and I'll ask it again. What's the fastest growing church in the world? What country has the fastest growing church in the world? This is a test for those. She used this last week. Iran. Okay, if you study the Iranian church, it's a church of, of people from Muslim backgrounds who, to whom Jesus is appearing in visions and dreams. And then they are going out and telling other people that they need to become disciples, followers of Jesus. And I was listening online to an interview with an Iranian woman who is part of this movement. And she said, when we go out from our homes, we know that we may, there is every likelihood we won't come back. And when we, go out into our in, when we go out to tell people about Jesus, we know that if we are arrested, we will be raped, we will be beaten, and we will be killed. And the church in Iran is growing explosively because people go, that's just what it is to be a follower of Jesus, is to go and help other people connect with God. There's nothing more important than that. But it's hard. Like, we hate rejection, don't we? And we're very sensitive to it. And I sometimes think to myself, no, let me back up. A very, very common thought I have is, why is it that so many of us who claim to be followers of Jesus don't seem to live much like Jesus at all? So that's the challenge in the church. Where's the forgiveness? Where's the grace? Where's the humility? Where's the courage? Where's the prayer? Where's the healing? Where's the spiritual freedom? Where's the care for the poor? Where's the, you know? I go, can't we need a little more of that? Don't we? I need a little more of that. But as Sally said, I'm scared of the, I'm, I'm held back by my own selfishness and I'm scared of what others will think of me. I find this story so fascinating. So what would I have done? What would you have done if you were one of these disciples? Would you have obeyed? Or would you have come up with like 10 really good valid reasons to not go out? I'm sure they had lots of reasons. Man, I don't know enough, Jesus. I need some more training. I don't understand fully the, uh, your dual nature. You're fully God and fully human. Now, I don't really understand that. Help me understand. They might have said, well, I'm... I'm weak, I'm, I'm selfish, I'm so aware of my own sin. You know, let me get my life together before I join you on your mission. I mean, lots and lots and lots of good reasons, right? Like, oh, people might not like me. Here's the fear of failure. What if I try? What if I try to live for you, Jesus, and it doesn't work? Have, uh, have, you, ever tried, have you ever prayed for someone to be healed? Stick your hand up if you've ever prayed for someone to be healed. Okay, most of us do that, maybe not. That. And, and how many of you have had the experience where they don't get healed? So then you go, oh, maybe I'm not going to try that again. I prayed for my brother to become a Christian for 20 years, and then he became a Muslim. <laughs> 
Like that's a real, I mean, that is real failure. <laughs> that is like, so, <laughs> I mean, I am a massive failure as at prayer. So there's lots of good reasons that I should not pray for somebody to be healed or to become to faith or for God to do anything because my track record seems to be like more failure than success. And the disciples could have said that. And what if I try, what if, it's all embarrassing. What if you go and cast out, try to pray to cast out a demon and then um, nothing happens? Maybe they get worse. I don't know. There's so many reasons. You know, one of the things... One of the things that excites me most about the local church, about this community that we're trying to build here, is to be a f- community where we really take this calling seriously. And we address honestly the challenges, but then we step out in faith to say we can make a difference. Like we really can. We can be little outposts for Jesus. We can be those who introduce others to God. That's what it's about. And don't ever let anyone think you're not ready for it, you're not spiritual enough, you're not mature enough, you're not smart enough. Our transcendent meaning and purpose is to go into the world, to live life the way Jesus would have lived, were he living in our place, and as we do that, to set people free, to help them connect with God and learn to live truly great lives in whatever situation we face. It's my... It's my hope and prayer in my own life that one day when I'm dying, I will die in the way that Jesus would die were he dying in my place. I'll be one of those people. Whether that's in an aged care facility somewhere or in as a middle-aged man from cancer or some other disease, whatever it is, because, I mean, that's where we're all heading, right? And, and at one level, the litmus test of my faith is, am I going to, when I come to that transition point in life, am I going to be so full of Jesus that that's, that's how I go through that stage of life? <laughs> so even in our dying, we have meaning and purpose. Even in our dying, we're doing the same thing we do in our living. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I just... I thank you for this story, and uh, it's so challenging. It's uh, and so full of hope that you have a plan for us and you want to use us. And I pray for our church that you will make us a people who, whatever stage of our spiritual journey we're on, we we learn to live from you. And we learn to live for you. And we learn to live for others. Lord, give us honesty about the challenges and the joys of this way of life. Give us honesty about um, what this looks like. Sometimes, Lord, I feel in in groups, in churches, Christians, can, we can pretend a little that, and think that just going through the rituals and the motions is what it's about, but it's not, Lord. So, so help us, give us a, a, a gritty reality in our faith. I pray you'll give us courage. Um, it's, it's not easy to confront the world 
it's not easy to, to, to confront our own inadequacies and our own sin, our own sense of failure and not being enough. So help us. Jesus, pour your Holy Spirit out on, this, on, our, on our little group here this morning because we need spiritual power to learn to love in the way of Jesus, to forgive in the way of Jesus, to show grace and mercy in the way of Jesus. We, we can't do this by ourselves. We desperately need your help. Why don't you, as we wrap up, as, I, as we keep praying, think about the week that's coming up. And think about a situation that you know is going to be challenging for you. And, and talk to God about that. Ask God to help you in that. It could be a doctor's appointment. It could be a sleepless night with a young child. It could be a work conversation. It could be a conversation with your husband or wife or partner. Just, just take, think. What, can you think of something that's going to be hard and challenging? And, and, and right now, talk to God about it. Ask him to help you. Ask Jesus to speak to you, to show you, give you a bit of a glimpse of how he might want you to live in that.